Hello again, I'm Party Parslow and this is Party in China, the story of my fascinating, frustrating and very, very funny adventures teaching English in the Chinese provinces of Sichuan and Jiangsu. This is the truth, but it's not the whole truth because too much happened. And it's not nothing but the truth, because there are jokes and hearsay and conjecture and guesses and mistakes. And because most of the time, I had no idea what the hell was going on over there. Welcome to episode five. Previously on Party in China, I'd arrived in my new home, Diang, described as a small city of five million people, and spent my first night alternating between the incredibly hard bed and the toilet as Sichuan's delicious but dangerous cuisine wreaked havoc on my innards. It's a strange thing not to know your own address. Even on holidays, you can name the hotel where you're staying. But for several months in Diang, I had no idea exactly where I lived. I could find it. I could catch buses to within a block or so. I could have a taxi drive around until I recognized a landmark and pointed in the right direction. But I couldn't actually tell anyone where I lived. Eventually, I learnt that my apartment complex was called Modern Garden, or Xiandai Huayuan, or something like that. I don't think I ever got it right. Whenever I said that to a cab driver, he'd fail to understand, so I'd go back to pointing the way home. And when he saw the apartments, he'd always go, oh, and then pronounce it differently, like Xiandai Huayuan. I'd mimic him and practice that pronunciation diligently before using it on the next cab driver. Who'd fail to understand and then see the apartments and go, Oh, Shandai Yuan. No two versions were ever the same, and I came to believe it was all a huge, well organised practical joke, which they would laugh themselves silly about at the end of the shift. One day, the cab driver immediately understood what I said, I was amazed, and sped off in the right direction. My feeling of accomplishment didn't last long, however, as he picked up the radio mic and told the whole fleet what I'd said imitating my terrible accent with cruel accuracy. When he noticed I was glaring at him, he gave me a huge smile with a double thumbs up and was so proud of himself, I let it go. I was also keen to get at least one of his hands back on the steering wheel. Another driver took me a much longer way home, which would normally annoy me, but I enjoyed listening to his CD, which was some sort of English for taxi drivers listen, and he diligently repeated useful phrases like, I am on a break. That is too far. That costs extra. And my shift is over. But back to my first morning in Diang when I awoke with no real idea where the hell I was. To hear, Oh, Mr. Buddy, Wong is here. And so I welcomed him politely, if not enthusiastically. Mr. Wong wanted to show me around town, which seemed like a good idea now that my gut grumbles had more or less quelled. But the first thing he wanted to show me was a police station. Foreigners need to register with the local cops within either 24 or 48 hours. I was told both, so can't be sure. But if you go somewhere for the weekend, you're supposed to register at the tourist destination and again with the locals when you return. I never did, and I assume most foreigners don't. When I asked Mr Wong why that was necessary, he said, In case your hotel burns down. But if that happened, I explained, filling out the correct form would be the least of my problems. After we caught up with the cops, we caught a bus. A small bus, like all in Diang. My head would hit the roof if I straightened up. What would normally be an overhead bar hit my shoulder and the straps hanging off of that dangled down towards my elbows. 
If there was a seat available, I couldn't fit and had to twist outwards with my knees and feet in the aisle. Diang buses are uncomfortable, but they're very cheap. One yuan, or about 16 cents. Which I didn't know at the time, so my initial gratitude to Mr Wong for shouting me the trip to town was probably overdone. Incidentally, we have lots of names for money. Dollars, bucks, moolah, cash, spondulics. And so do the Chinese. The yuan is also known as kuai, or RMB, which comes from renminbi, or people's currency. Each yuan is divided into ten jiao, coins like the American dollar and dime. The banknotes all have Chairman Mao on them, the coins don't, but the coins are colloquially called Mao and the notes aren't. It makes sense to them. The bus went over the dirty brown river via the Rainbow Bridge, a sightseeing highlight of Diang. It's a standard ugly orange metal bridge with some coloured lights on it at night. Close to the Rainbow Bridge is Walmart, which the Chinese call Walmart. I came to love Walmart, even though all I previously knew about it came from emails featuring shocking images of ugly, fat and bizarre Walmartians. Diang's version of Walmart has its own bizarre aspects, believe me, but more of that later on. We alighted from the bus at Wenmiao Square, which is the cultural centre of town, as it holds one of the few remaining intact Confucian temples. It may be intact, but it's not impressive. Months later, when I got around to going inside for a look, I found that what I thought was the temple was actually the coffee shop they'd built next door. The temple itself was behind and looked like an ancient warehouse or granary. When I told Mr Wong the only Confucius story I know, Confucius is walking along a river and comes to a ferry. The ferryman refuses payment but takes him across to a village where they greet the great Tao Master excitedly and tell him they have their very own hermit who lives in a nearby cave. Confucius is escorted to meet the hermit, who is honoured by the visit, and tells the master that he's been meditating for 47 years. Really? asks Confucius. What have you learnt? This, says the hermit proudly, and he steps out onto the river and walks upon the water all the way to the other side. 47 years, Confucius calls across. Didn't you know there was a ferry? He didn't laugh, just said, Oh, Mr. Buddy, you are always so humorous. Every night above freezing and some below, thousands of Chinese, mainly women, gather to dance together in what looks like a Guinness Book of World Records' largest entry-level line dancing attempt. I occasionally took part, usually on the way home from a bar, and it's kind of fun for a few minutes, but they're out there for hours at a time. It's good exercise and an impressive community effort, which I'd probably have enjoyed more if I'd gotten my hands on the ladies. I learnt ballroom as a teenager at Catholic school when dance lessons were your best chance to accidentally feel a firm yet soft breast or buttock. But this is more like rhythmic gymnastics, without the somersaults and with fans instead of long ribbons. There's no physical contact and not a hint of romance or sexiness. It was late August and very hot, although the sun was hidden by greyness, a near constant condition I was to learn. I asked Mr Wong if it was pollution, but he claimed it was mist. Sichuan's renowned for mists and fogs. I read one legend of two armies approaching for battle on a plain near Chengdu, and they passed each other unseen in the fog. Mist in the mist. Thank you very much. But on that very first day, and on every other bloody day, Wong Miao was crowded. Almost everybody took a moment to stare at me, but one very old man made more of an effort, 
tottering up quickly, yelling something angrily and throwing the burning tobacco from his pipe in my face. I was startled but unhurt and took my cue from Mr Wong, who pretended nothing had happened. Next, we went to view the traffic police. Diang is well known for having the prettiest traffic cops in Sichuan. If you're a good-looking woman who signs up for the PSB, odds are you'll soon be standing on a podium in the middle of the road, impeccably uniformed with blizzard white gloves and hat, blowing a loud, shiny whistle and making moves from the village people dance book. The two ladies taking turns on that day were certainly attractive enough, but nothing to write home about. Although I suppose this counts as writing home. A few months later, I saw what is now one of my favourite memories of China. Happening upon the same intersection at shift change, I watched two male officers replace the females on duty amid much marching and saluting and whistleblowing and stamping of feet. A very militaristic changing of the guard. But once the women reached the pavement, their official frowns eased, their ramrod postures relaxed, they took off their gloves and hats, unbuttoned their tunics and strolled back towards the police station, holding hands fondly and giggling in each other's faces. There's something very Chinese about that. I was still plucking embers of tobacco from my hair and beard when Mr Wong indicated that our Diang City tour was pretty much over, even though I'd learnt very little and he decided we'd return via a tricycle rickshaw. I wasn't keen, as it seems unfair to make a small person pedal around such a large person. And when he set eyes on me, the old-age pensioner on the trike seemed even less keen than I was. However, Mr Wong overrode us both, and I squeezed into the tiny seat with him more or less sitting on my lap. Before we left, my guilt skyrocketed when the pensioner reached down and retrieved the breathing apparatus attached to his oxygen tank, looping the tube over his ears and into his nostrils. With a low groan that spoke of the unbearable unjustness of existence, he slowly set off. It was a long, long trip home, but nobody died, which was nice. I'm not sure why I was such an astonishment for the people in Diang. I can't have been the first foreigner they've seen. Maybe it's because I'm so big, but there are tall Chinese people too. I've seen them on television playing basketball. I was also told that some men up north are more my size, perhaps a necessary evolution to defend against invading hordes from Siberia. But in Sichuan, I could always see for city blocks, no matter how crowded the streets became, and they became very, very crowded. If I did spy another head above the ocean of black hair, it was always another foreigner, or very occasionally a young Chinese woman, inevitably beautiful and probably a model. I suppose from their point of view, therefore, I was a colossus, nearly twice as tall and probably three times their weight. Most reacted well as long as they saw me coming, merely stopping to gape and gawk. A few would poke or punch me to test my veracity, or perhaps density. Others would stand next to me so their friend could take a photograph. But they didn't like it if I came upon them suddenly around a corner or out of a door, or more typically if they just weren't looking where they were going. Some ran, some yelped, some panicked, several women screamed. On that first day in Diang, a man on a bike was so transfixed by my appearance, he crashed into the back of a taxi, catapulted over the handlebars, paused briefly on the boot, and then slid into the gutter, never taking his eyes off me the whole time. Another day, emerging from an elevator, a woman screeched in alarm. As her eyes went up from around my navel to my face, she fell over backwards to the floor, or would have if the surrounding crowd hadn't prevented her total collapse. 
I know it's the wrong country and culture, but I often felt like Godzilla with throngs of fear-crazed people fleeing in every direction. In our next episode, I explore the campus of Diang Foreign Languages School. I meet my Kiwi partner in crime and finally realise my lifelong dream of being a teacher. It doesn't go that well. But all that and more to come in Party in China. You've been listening to Party in China. For more, like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Subscribe to the podcast at Audio Boom, Stitcher, iTunes or your favourite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com.